If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about financial literacy. Joining me today is Vince Shorb. He is CEO, National Financial Educators Council. So welcome to the show, Vince. Thanks for having me, Heather. This is a topic that is somewhat near and dear to my heart because I was not taught anything in school. The only thing I learned from my parents was money doesn't grow on trees. That was the extent of my financial learning. And then I was cast out into the world and really didn't have a good grasp. I knew I had to pay bills from whatever money I had coming in, but how did you make it work? Nobody talked about it. I didn't have any idea of how to deal with mortgages or anything like that. So first of all, why don't you tell us what financial literacy actually means? I think your story echoes the story of hundreds of millions in this country. We're lacking that education at home and in school. And, you know, the good place to start is what is financial literacy? And, uh, you know, the the actual definition is knowledge of money and finance, right? But we in the industry take a wider definition. We look at it as not only knowledge, but also can you apply that knowledge and work toward your financial goals? So it also addresses things like behaviors, confidence making decisions having the right systems having the right team members and an overall plan to to direct you right so we take a broader look at uh, the financial uh, literacy uh, definition and when you can address all those people are in a better position to again work uh, more effectively toward their goals now it doesn't always guarantee success there's things in life we saw over the last few years, many things pop up. COVID was a big disruptor for many. I had a friend that had a restaurant saved up for pretty much his whole adult life for this dream, opened it just before, and he was good, frugal, was working his plan, and you know what happened to him, sadly. So when we talk about financial literacy, we, we can do everything we can for the behavior side sentiment and the knowledge side of our, ourselves, but there's also some external forces we need to be prepared for. Yeah, that's important for people to understand, especially, you know, COVID was, I'm hoping it was sort of a one-off. It was a very big one-off, but that happens about once every hundred years. If you go up with Spanish flu and then COVID, they were a hundred years apart from each other. But there are things like you could fall down and break your leg. You could be in a car accident, you could be in a coma for you know a few weeks, and the medical bills are astronomical. And so we need to learn to save, not just pay the bills that we have and just exist, essentially paycheck to paycheck, or if we have any extra money, not just go out and spend it. We need to be taught that you've got to save for those emergencies. Very true. And I think, uh, you know, in this day of consumerism that really starts as kids, and I'll, I'll talk about that if you like, it really gets into, you know, we, we're ingrained to be purchased and really live at our means, even when people are looking to buy a home, right? They typically, and I come from my past life uh, 20 years ago was in financial services, so I'd see this over and over, they typically get the loan that they can qualify for not one that fit their budget, right? And there's a big difference. Same thing with cars. Hey, there's a car you can qualify for and there's one that can fit your budget. But again, I think really from childhood, we're exposed to so many ads, 
buy, buy, buy to meet this status symbol. Uh, our peers network has grown exponentially with social media. We have those YouTube stars and those other influencers that are doing those unboxing videos or where they go shop and they show their what they've gotten. Um, so all this has an influence on on kids of a young age. And Brown University actually has a great study uh, pointing to financial habits formed very young. They did a study of over 50,000 youth, um, and they looked at uh, the, the age that financial habits form between eight and nine. Um, so it's a younger and younger, and it's hard to break once you're an adult. Uh, so I think we have a, a lot of work to do on that youth education front. I do want to give a personal story about the, the mortgage info. When yeah. I was early 30s, I bought a condo and I did that whole, well, I qualified for a $130,000 home. And guess what? I put 3000 down and bought a hundred and mortgaged 127,000, which was basically left me house poor. So I was just eking it out paycheck to paycheck, but I felt like I'm a homeowner. I'm great. And then two years later, I was a hospital director for a veterinary clinic, and they shut down three clinics, one of which I was a manager of. And I had to find a new job, which paid a lot less than I was making. And now I was going into debt because I couldn't afford that old condo. Now, eventually I was able to sell it, had a pretty good size down payment from the equity I had acquired and got a better deal on a different townhome. And now I'm able to save a lot more money. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough, you know, you think the, the people that are giving you the loan are qualifying based on what you can afford. But another, just to go off that mortgage example, you would qualify as, let's say, as, I don't know your status in, but a, a single person could qualify at the same ratio as a family of 10 could qualify for. So if, you know, they look at about a 28% housing expense ratio. So if you're a single person, that might be affordable, right? It's still, I think, tight. But if you're a family of 10, that's really not. So, you know, that's another consideration that people just don't understand. And I think that goes back to what we started with. Hey, we're not taught this in schools. We're not taught this at home. And people are left to figure out things out by talking to salespeople, offering mortgages, offering different uh, products. Okay. You bring me to the next question I want to have, but I know we're going to go into it in a little more detail. So we're going to take a break a little earlier than we normally do. But when we come back, I want to go into when should we start talking to our kids and should that be happening in the schools? So we'll be right back with Vince Shore. He is CEO, National Financial Educators Council. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it, and today we are talking about financial literacy, especially for your kids. It's important to start very early, which my guest, Vince Shore, the CEO of Nationals Financial Educators Council. Just before the end of that last segment, you talked about kids should be starting to learn this early, and I didn't realize how early. You just mentioned behaviors regarding spending and saving actually can start as early as eight or nine years old? It's a conservative study. Some other studies point to even seven years old. So I think with just all the influences out there to make purchases, to buy, the advertisers spend billion plus dollars a year targeting kids. Um, and also before nine years old, they can't discern between advertising content, so commercial content, 
from non-commercial content. So it's it's very challenging uh, for kids to distinguish those two. So it's really important as parents, we start early. I push down to the age three years old where we're getting them in the habit of contributing, right? Through doing some household chores, through picking up, through doing some things. As they're getting into age four and five, we can then start to give them some pay for doing some extra chores, right? So we can start to have this conversation and relate working and earning with with monetary so they can go purchase the things that they want. But also, as they get later, we can teach them to save and put some money away. Um, so it's really the the training wheels. If we think about how your uh, parents taught you to ride a bike, at least mine. They put me on the training wheels, you know, they walked next to me, they had me pedal. Um, then it was one training wheel, then it was no training wheels, right? And even before that, I was on tricycles and other things that were getting my muscles in those habits. Uh, but with money, there's nothing like that typically in most households. So a kid goes through 17 years with all these negative influences, then moves out on their own. And what happens? They, they make mistakes like I made uh, coming out. And I was very blessed. My parents taught me value of hard work. They taught me a lot about investing in things. I just was missing the basics, right? The credit, the budgeting. This is what we see happening. We see it out there with a $1.7 trillion in growing student loan debt uh, uh, epidemic we have on our hands. These kids are making decisions without any knowledge. Uh, we look at the uh, mistakes that they make with early banking, early credit mistakes that carry on for multiple years. So there's some serious consequences. And what we're really trying to do is raise the alarm for parents and also schools to to step up and really make sure your kids are protected. Yeah, because if a parent doesn't have the knowledge to teach their kids, where else are they going to get it but in the schools? Yeah, and you know, I think uh, that's always a fear of parents. I don't know what to teach. And I think the beauty is there's a lot of things that we can do just through regular communication, getting them involved in that process, doing the chore thing. And for an example, let's say we go shopping and we're comparing a, a couple cans of beans. Why am I pack, picking this can of beans? Well, it's cheaper by the ounce price, right? So we can use those little teachable moments or making sure that, hey, if a kid's you know always asking for something to buy and, and, and so forth, instead of just buying it for them, empowering them by allowing them to do certain chores to earn that money to save for that item than spending their own money. So they're, and maybe they're learning about opportunity costs as well. Maybe they want two items, but they only have money for one, right? So all these little things are building those, those tiny little muscles. So when they are, you know, that 17, 18, 19, 20 and moving out on their own, hopefully uh, that they're able to make the, the, the better decision. I love that idea that you say it's an empowerment to have the child save the money because I think so many parents these days just think, oh, I'm depriving my child if I don't give them X, Y, and Z. But what I've found is that if the parents are giving their kids everything and they don't have to work for it, even in the slightest, they become very entitled. And that just magnifies the older they get. And I'm not even talking about teenage years. I mean, even as adults, they just become completely entitled in everything in life. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, you see it over and over. And I'm always reminded of this one time I was in a, a store, like convenience store. A mom, she had a, a kid, uh, like four-year-old kid, maybe five, young young daughter, one in the in the cart. And the daughter ran across this princess fairy wand thing and candy all in it. 
and was crying, crying, crying. And mom's like, no, 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 being very good, right? And then she starts throwing a fit. Then she's like, okay, and just gave up, right? And, and put it in the cart. And and really what this does, and I felt for that mom. I'm not criticizing her at all. I felt for her situation. She's embarrassed, feeling, you know, hey, she's doing multiple things, probably busy day. But this young daughter was probably influenced by some Disney commercial for some princess thing or some giveaways that they do on, on those uh, all those commercials. And they wanted this princess fairy thing and she threw a fit and so all those advertisers had that influence on how she behaved and then the parent just reinforced that behavior okay you 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 acted in a way that you're going to get this thing so yeah. fast forward this young uh, girl you know 20 25 years what's going to happen when she can't get something if the parent reinforced that let's say a hundred times what's going to happen when she can't get something likely the similar response hopefully she outgrew it by then but uh you know this is how habits not only form but they're reinforced and i think that parent has a big role in the reinforcement so even if we can stop reinforcing negative behaviors that's doing something good as well i do want to pass on a tip that my mother did to me i wasn't pleased about it at the time but looking back on it i think it served me well I wanted to go on a trip or something with some friends and I just kept bugging my mom. Can I go have you? And she, at first she said, well, let me think about it. And every five minutes I well, did you think about it? Did you decide? Did you decide? You know, I did that to her for probably an hour. And finally she turned around and she goes, you know what? I was going to let you go, but you were so pissy about it. You can't go. Great. She turned me not being able to go back on me, on the behavior I was doing and that straightened me out pretty quickly. I probably had a few temper tantrums after that, I'm sure. But if she said she'd think about things in the future, I pretty much remember just going, oh, fine, <laughs> and yeah. let her think about it. That's great. Yeah, some lessons, you know, parenting's not easy. Um, sometimes we have to be the bad guy as, as the parent, right? And it's tough. Uh, especially when you love your kids. But, you know, I think the role of parents is is bringing up, you know, independent, self-sufficient, contributing members of society. And, and that takes work. And it's challenging. It takes, you know, daily interactions and so forth. That's, it's difficult, especially, I know a lot of single parents out there, it's like, hey, I'm trying to make time. Um, and it just really takes uh, that type of effort to to get kids to that stage so that when there are that you know, turn that to late teenagers, they can move out and start taking on that role for themselves. And we see the problems that, you know, when parents aren't doing that, we see kids now live with their parents 30, 40 years old, boomerang kids, they'll go to college, they'll come back. And that has more of the rule than the exception these days. So with, with the boomerang and, 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 you know, kids living at home into their mid and early 20s. And I think, you know, that early experience of getting the kid out there, Getting them to learn, experience life is so critical, um, and, and that's really what we're preparing them for. I also think one of the big ones that goes back to, the, you know, the kids going to college and they have all the student loans are if the parents don't explain, even in the simplest terms, what interest does to a loan, I think that's huge because I know for myself you know, the first time I got a credit card, I just thought, oh, well, I buy something, I put it on the credit card, and the bill comes, and then it says, well, you pay this amount, and then after some amount of time, it gets paid off. Well, nobody explained to me that 75% of that bill was just interest. The other 25% I paid 
brought down the the principal just a little bit. But it would have taken me 15 years to pay off $1,000 at the rate I was going at the time. So I think people think, oh, within a few months, I can just pay something off I put on the credit card because they think it's if I buy something for $300 and I can pay $100 a month in three months, it'll be paid off, not realizing that it's going to take you three or four times that amount because of the interest that's added. Very true. And that's the pitfall of, you know, student loan credit cards and also student loan debt. You know, I know my guidance counselor with me when I was looking at colleges, they just said, oh, go to the, go visit three, four schools, see what campus you like more, go there. Absolutely horrible advice, right? So guidance counselor play an important role too. It's like, hey, ju- pick a college based on ROI. Here's what this will add up to over time. Here's your payments. In fact, when I was doing a lot of college speaking, college tours, I would always ask, how many people know how much you're going to, how much you have in debt when you graduate? Of that, very small percentage of hands went up. The next question I asked, only one person in the tens of thousands of of college students I talked to, and it was, do you know your payments after you're going to graduate, or at least a close proximity? Only one kid at UNLV knew, um, and he was just, he was super hyper into this, spent an hour with me afterwards, but only person in tens of thousands of students that knew what their payment was going to be after college. Don't you think it's the the high school's responsibility to help them pick a college that's going to be best suited for their long-term financial security? And also the college's responsibility to make sure these youth and these kids know what they're going to pay, but instead nothing's ever taught. They're just, you know, I remember from the time I was in grade school, it was always go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college, Right. And you go to college and it's like, why? And then you graduate. It's like, okay, now what? Right. right. Um, and now I have this debt. So I think everybody in the, that chain, parents, schools and colleges need to take the responsibility and, you know, $1.7 trillion. That's insane amount uh, of money uh, exceeds the majority of other debt car and, and credit card uh, debt in this country. Um, and that's just, and none of the kids, to your point, know the interest that they're paying. And if they're making the minimum payments, when they're going to pay that off. Yeah. All right. That is going to lead us into our next topic, which we will pick up after this break. And we'll be right back with Vince Shorb. He is the CEO, National Financial Educators Council. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show. If it affects your life in any way, money-wise, we're talking about it. And today, it is financial literacy. Joining me today is Vince Shorb. He is CEO, National Financial Educators Council. So, Vince, if parents don't have a good enough grasp, but they feel comfortable teaching their kids about financial literacy, or just the basics, just money comes in, you got to make sure that you don't spend more than you actually have and interest rates are going to hurt you if you start taking out credit cards and loans and things like that. If the parents can't do that, then we've got to turn to the schools. But there are so many states in America that don't even require teaching financial literacy to the kids. So what is your organization doing to help that? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. About half the states require some financial literacy, half the states don't, right? And so obviously the states don't are a major issue, but even the states that do require financial literacy, we say that every single state fails to meet at least minimum education standards. 
Uh, so they're just throwing a topic in and, and it's not really meeting the, the standards that are required by other subjects. So for instance, um, even, even, you know, states like that are doing great things like Utah and, and so forth, they're requiring a, a half semester of, of financial literacy. That's probably the biggest requirement of any state is about a half credit of financial literacy. So it's, it's not enough rigor. First, you can't learn anything in a, a you know, a, a four month training class. You're not going to pick things up. Um, and we're not teaching. It's a list of random topics, right? So Florida, for example, they list out credit, budget, what to do with inheritance money, then loans, right? It's just random broad topics that give the educators and the, the school districts employing this no direction. Uh, another big issue, it's not funded. So schools aren't funding this. And we argue that financial literacy is the subject that benefits 100% of students. When we get to high school level, most of these classes are not needed by people. So for instance, science, uh, uh, to, you know, any science, you know, biology, chemistry, geology, all those things, it's used by less than 6% of people as far as income source after they graduate. Math, it's used by less than 25% of people after they graduate. I'm talking high school level math. You know, you need to have the basic numeracy and so forth. But once you get to eighth grade, that, um, uh, you know, that uh, uh, geometry, the uh, algebra, it's not needed by most people. And we can go through the list of other subjects too. social studies, less than 16% of people need it for any income. And yet we're prioritizing those subjects that are very challenging and kids are sitting in class and like, why am I learning, you know, this pie thing? Well, what is pie? Why do I need it? I've never used pie in my life, right? 3.14 or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember too, but I don't know what I'd put it in, you know, right. what I, uh, how do I use this? Um, but, you know, they're teaching completely useless topics when a topic like financial wellness, financial literacy would benefit 100% of people and it makes the biggest difference in their lives. So if we look at the hierarchy of human needs, you know, our base level is security, right? Esteem, belonging, all these things are directly related with money and finance. So to elevate standards, hey, we need qualified, competent teachers, enough time and rigor, funding, a curriculum that's focused on outcomes instead of random topics. An outcome would be like planning your college expenses, right? Or moving out on your own, how to buy a car, how to manage your credit effectively so you don't get in trouble, um, you know, how to avoid debt, right? All these things are outcome basis of random topics. Uh, so we actually published the uh, policy and framework standards for high school financial literacy education to guide policymakers because it's these legislatures. And, and, and first off, I thank everybody who's been pushing financial literacy in schools. But over the years, we've had uh, two members of the House of Representatives and numerous, a couple handfuls of, of state representative members contact us saying, hey, will you back our bill? And we're like, no, but here's some tips, right? Here's what you could do to enhance that so it makes a real difference. Um, and they've never taken our suggestions. So we're like, hey, we're going to publish this document that will guide those next policymakers so they know what their bill should be considering. So it includes those testing standards. So it includes those things that are going to make a meaningful difference to kids, not just something to go make a lap around and say, no, I got financial literacy in schools. Financial literacy is great, but we want training that makes a real difference in youth lives. Yeah. So this didn't occur to me until we started having this conversation. I live in Utah and it's one of the states that does require high school kids to have their one semester of financial literacy before they graduate. And I've always thought, hey, yay, way to go. 
But if the teachers aren't being taught how to teach that financial literacy, and most of them are parents as well, and they don't even talk to their kids about financial literacy, then what are the high school students actually learning? Yeah, that's a big problem. Um, and, and Utah requires some teacher training. It's, it's, it's one of the few states that do. I think there's two or three states that require, but it's very minimal and it's focused just on content knowledge, right? So credit, budgeting, you know, expenses, which is fine. But the financial literacy, as we talked about at the beginning, it's behaviors, it's habits, it's it's a lot different. So if, if you're a math teacher, one plus one equals two, right? If you are a financial education teacher, you have everybody in the class with different uh, habits, different behaviors, different socioeconomic status, been exposed to different things about money, have different goals, different beliefs. Um, and then you have these different factors of where they want to go in life, the things they want to do. So all these variables. So it takes a really in-depth skill set to have. And if we look at all core teachers, right? So if you're a English, math, science, a social studies teacher, you went through typically eight years in elementary school learning that. You went through four years in high school learning that subject. You went through at least four years in college, typically uh, six to eight years in college learning that. And now you're teaching. Now they're saying, okay, all teachers, hey, you got to go teach financial literacy. Less than a handful of states teach the, train the teacher on anything. So all the other teachers are just thrown a, a book saying, oh, you got to teach financial literacy. It's like, oh, how do I do it, right? What do I do? And, um, you know, we have actually teachers coming out of pocket because they're tasked with this out of their own pocket that are investing into training for themselves because they're like, I'm tasked with teaching this, but I don't know what to do. And I want to do good for these students. Um, so they're taking the role on themselves when really, hey, we need to make sure that the teachers are confident. Even when we go to school districts to train the teachers on how to teach their kids, Oftentimes, the the presentations and the training sidetrack because they're asking questions about their own personal finance, right? So it just shows that, hey, they, they lack the confidence in their own finances. They lack the confidence to teach. Um, and nobody's really doing anything to support them. And, and teachers are the primary outcome of success or failure in a class. I can give a great teacher the worst curriculum. And they're going to make that class great. I can give the opposite is not true. If I give an underqualified teacher the best curriculum, the class is going to have problems. So I think that needs to be the focus on financial literacy standards moving forward. Can teachers, school districts, legislatures, anybody reach out to your organization to get more information on how to teach financial literacy? We have standards for personal finance instructors, we have standards for learners, and we have standards for uh, legislatures, all provided complimentary uh, that can really guide them. Um, and they can reach out to, to, to us. I'm more than happy to help via LinkedIn or, or our website and be more than happy to, to help them uh, with that. Our website's financialeducatorscouncil.org. And my LinkedIn is Vince-Shorb. And all those guides are available complimentary to those schools, nonprofits, other groups that want to implement quality financial education program. And then once they're on the website, they can link to your name, Vince Shorb, to get more information. We have a lot of free stuff there, curriculum downloads, training downloads. We make a lot of stuff available because a lot of groups we serve, you know, they're, they're, they're serving underserved, right? So they're nonprofits trying to help their community, their faith-based organizations, trying to serve their organization, their schools. But we also do a lot of work with financial services and, and those people in the financial space 
that are really trying to be that frontline educator as well, because their clients are asking questions that they need to really be that educator, right? And going back again, many years when I was in financial services, the level of very just basic questions I was being asked just blew me away. And that motivated me to get in this business because I'm like, how do you not know that? You've bought in a few homes, you refinanced a few times. How do you not know that by now? I mean, it was just a concern I had. It's like, I was always having to educate on very basic things. So for those adults that haven't got that education, oftentimes the educator we have are in financial services or that sector. Um, so it really takes a community. We're trying to serve a very diverse group of people that all have one common goal, which is to strengthen people's financial capabilities so they're making better decisions. Thank you so much, Vince Shorb. You are CEO of National Financial Educators Council. And people can go to the website. I'll provide a link in the description. So if anybody wants free material, even if you're just a parent and you need to get a little bit more education yourself, you can go to the website and download some information. Very true. I thank you and I love your show and I appreciate everything you're doing in the space. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.